Scott Chance in for Jill Bennett just after one o'clock on your Thursday afternoon. And we're going to talk about nuclear power. Obviously, energy and climate and all of those things are hot topics as we are in a huge heat wave here. And Ontario is currently entering into consultations and talks and discussions about building a nuclear power plant, a big one in that province. Here in BC, we don't have any. Canada has four altogether. And to join me now to unpack all things nuclear energy, should we, shouldn't we, why and why not, is climate change and anti-pollution activist and president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, Chris Kiefer. Thanks for being here, Chris. Hi there, Scott. It's, uh, it's great to be on the show. Great to have you. So uh, are you for or against the idea of a giant new nuclear power plant in Ontario? I am for this uh, new large plant. I think it's, uh, it's very exciting news. Um, here in Ontario, uh, we share the privilege with BC, Quebec and Manitoba of being an ultra low carbon grid. Uh, we, of course, have Niagara Falls, but we, we quickly outgrew our hydroelectric resources and built coal. Luckily, we built a whole bunch of nuclear plants. We're able to phase coal completely off our grid. Um, but times are changing, and we need even more electricity, obviously, as we electrify the economy to uh, decarbonize. Um, even British Columbia and Quebec are starting to outgrow their britches. So um, I think Ontario's leading here, but um, uh, be wise for BC to reevaluate its ban on nuclear energy. Hmm. Why do you think that people are weary of nuclear energy? Oh, man. I mean, it makes for great drama. I don't know if people saw the HBO series on Chernobyl. Um, it's, uh, it really occupies people's imaginations. And I think for you know, very real reasons, um, people that, that lived through that Cold War period, like my father doing duck and cover exercises under, under their desk at school, um, that fear of nuclear weapons uh, translates uh, very quickly over to the peaceful use of the technology, um, nuclear power. Um, and that's unfortunate. Um, but I think times are changing and there's, you know, an emerging generation of younger activists um, who maybe 30 years ago would have been anti-nuclear activists who are now fighting for um, more nuclear energy because of um, its climate benefits, its air pollution benefits, uh, even medical isotopes. And most people don't know that. But here in Ontario, we produce uh, a gobsmacking amount of the medical isotope cobalt 60, which is used to sterilize 40 percent of the world's single use medical instruments, um, that's something that touches uh, upon my career as a, as a medical doctor. So um, lots of interesting new reasons to reevaluate the technology. Um, of course, it's a complex one, um, and it needs careful study. Um, but I think when you compare it to other energy resources, um, it's, it's, a, it's a great pairing, for instance, with hydroelectricity. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, I know so little about it, I think, like so many other people. And that's why I'm excited to, to hear about it, because a lot of people that you are sort of in the media and on podcasts and that type of thing, like you mentioned, are kind of bringing up the idea of nuclear power as, hey, as we're concerned about climate change, like we should be, this is an option that we should be looking at a lot more. Now, why is, or maybe if you can explain how, or maybe even how much cleaner nuclear energy is than the alternatives that we have? Yeah, so, I mean, we need to look at life cycle emission studies, and that includes everything from the mining right up to building the power plants um, and the waste stream. And, and, you know, we can make comparisons to solar, to wind, to hydro. Uh, nuclear, according to the IPCC, the, the world's foremost um, climate body, has uh, amongst the lowest life cycle emissions. And a more recent study coming out of the uh, out of the UN, um, uh, UN Economic Council for Europe, shows it has, in fact, the lowest life cycle emissions of any source 
It's about half that of hydro. Um, I mean, we're talking about tiny amounts of emissions for each of those two technologies, but people would be surprised to know that it's, you know, five to ten times lower emissions than solar. Um, but that's because you need to use a lot of coal mostly, and mostly that's done in China, um, to synthesize polysilicon. Um, it's about as electricity hungry as aluminum manufacturing is. So, um, you know, to consider any one thing in isolation is a mistake, but what we need to do is really identify what our goals are. And if our goals are ultra-low emissions, and if we want to electrify everything, we have to make sure that we do that with ultra-reliable electricity. So I'm a medical doctor. I work at a hospital. Um, I take it quite seriously, this idea of fighting uh, climate change and, and moving towards an electrified economy. But that means that our houses are, are heated and cooled with heat pumps, it means that we're driving electric vehicles, it means that all of our infrastructure doesn't have fossil fuel backup. And so you need a really reliable system underpinning that. And that's what nuclear offers us. And because Canada developed its own um, reactor technology that can do, um, we are able to recycle all of the benefit of any investment we make in nuclear. And here in Ontario, when we spend a dollar um, on CANDU, we get a dollar forty back in economic activity. And so even, uh, you know, for the NDP in BC, there's a strong, strong case um, for, for the labor benefits. We talk a lot about a just transition for, for fossil fuel workers. Well, you know, we did that in Ontario, moving coal workers over to nuclear to better paying jobs um, in much safer working environments. Um, so, you know, the more you look into nuclear, the more surprises there are in that in that setting. But at this announcement, a lot of union stewards are there saying, hey, you know, this technology has looked after my family for the last 50 years. Um, I'm the third generation person working, you know, in candy reactors um, and very, very grateful for the kind of economic prosperity they, they bring and, and for the strong labor culture that they nurture. Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of information, like you mentioned there. But <laughs> even like you say, just speaking with you, I'm surprised to learn um, some of this stuff. And it seems so positive. It seems like there's this huge positive upside to it, and we should be uh, moving forward with it, especially, as you mentioned, the need for electricity. As everyone is interested in buying an electric car, there's lots of talk of like, whoa, we need to hit the brakes here. The grid Mm -hmm. is not going to be able to support this, and how are we going to kind of future-proof that? Now, yeah. to go back to what we were talking about earlier, I think there is this this idea of nuclear waste and nuclear meltdown and the fear that comes with that. How has nuclear energy gotten safer over the last 30 years? I mean, so waste is a really, really important objection that comes up a lot. And of course, every energy technology, even renewables, produce waste. Um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to you know cast any dispersions uh, here. Nuclear waste fresh out of the reactor, unshielded, is absolutely deadly. You'd get a fatal dose within a minute of being exposed to it. That being said, it is a curious fact that no one has ever died from handling spent civilian nuclear waste in the last 60 years of, of nuclear energy. So, you know, how is that? Um, it's because it's actually fairly easy to manage. We remove it from the reactor underwater. It's cooled for four or five years and put into these concrete and steel dry casks. People talk about we have to store it for generations, for millions of years. In 40 years, 99.9% of the radioactivity um, has decayed. It's called exponential radioactive decay. And in 500 years, you could hold a spent can-do fuel bundle in your hands. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there um, regarding uh, nuclear waste. Um, and, and I think it's really been an error of the nuclear sector not to be more open about it and, you know, have the public interact with it. So I've, I've you know, been inside the waste storage facilities. They're basically like big Costco warehouses with these concrete and steel containers. I've touched them. I've had a dose meter on me. My dose was far lower than flying in an airplane, which I, I do far too often. Um, but it's things like that where we really need to, to demystify 
Um, but, you know, the waste is, is a really interesting topic. And, um, again, it needs to be examined alongside other sources. I mean, I, you, you hear Quebec a lot. Um, the Parti Québécois uh, and the Bloc are, are quite anti-nuclear, and they talk about the waste issue. Well, you know, when they flooded the James Bay Hydro Project, they flooded an area the size of, of the state of Florida, and that released a huge amount of methylmercury as, as those organic compounds and trees and, and grasses and things um, dissolved and, and, and decayed. Um, that's a completely uncontained, poorly managed and quite deadly heavy waste stream, heavy metal waste stream. So, um, you know, once you put things into context and look at them holistically, um, you can make, I think, valid um, decisions about energy planning. And, you know, this kind of blanket, well, we're going to have a nuclear ban in D.C., I mean, I'm not I'm not in BC. I'm not part of the democracy voting out there, but I think it'd be a really important thing to reopen that debate um, and make it a fact based debate.